Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Needle Drop Podcast, our weekly roundup podcast where we take all of our best reviews and thought segments from the week from the Needle Drop channel, the Fantano channel, and package them conveniently into an easy-to-digest, chill-out, hang-out, and uh, get-your-review-on type of audio listening experience. So... With that being said, in this new episode of the podcast, we have quite a few reviews for you. Get ready. Get ready because here they are. We have a so, some thoughts, some opinions on the brand new collaborative Future and Juice World album, World on Drugs. You will get my thoughts on that. Open Mike Eagles, new mini album, What Happens When I Try to Relax. If you have ever been intrigued by this very brainy underground rapper, you may dig this as well because this is his most revealing project, I think, in a while. Also, my thoughts on the new Little Big album. These guys are an electronic Russian outfit with some very zany beats and lyrics. I think you guys may dig on this project uh, quite a bit. Anti-Positivity Part 2 is the name of their new EP. Also, the new High on Fire album, Electric Messiah, for my sledge metal fans out there. Also, some thoughts on the new Little Yachty album, Nothing to Prove, as well. I'm also going to throw out a video that is a track review of the new trippy Red Cut, which I like a little bit, named Topanga. And finally, we will tie it up with some thoughts on whether or not depressing music contributes to one's depression. So that is going to be the latest episode of the Needle Drop Podcast. Get ready. Here we go. And it's time for a review of the new collaborative Juice World and Future Project, World on Drugs. This is a new collaborative album from two of trap music's biggest voices at the moment. The King of Codeine, one of the biggest rap stars of this decade, essentially a veteran at this point, Future Hendrix, and emo rap up-and-comer Juice World. While both are usually druggy auto-crooners flowing their way through kind of trippy, watery beats, I'm surprised this crossover even exists. On the surface, it seems like a really odd pairing, especially when you take into account Future's flashy, macho grit, and Juice World's kind of nasally, boyish voice and heartbroken lyrics. This record is 16 tracks, 49 minutes, so quite a few songs on here are on the brief side. And what this album lacks in the substance that it obviously wasn't going to have, it kind of makes up for in vibe. This thing has vibe in spades. It feels really good. It's pretty wavy, which I think is a testament to Future and Juice World working together effectively on this project, as they consistently hit some pretty catchy flows over some pretty quality production. While the percussion on these tracks is pretty much par the course for most of the trap instrumentals you've heard over the past few years. You have those snappy 808 drums and the rattling triplet hi-hats. Some of the instrumentation on top of the beats, though, is kind of sticky, maybe a little unusual and sad, whether it be the watery and plucky guitar leads on the track Jetlag, or the eerie and metallic clangy melodies cycling away on the track Red Bentley. There are also some wailing, sad, and melty guitar leads on the track Oxy. There are also a few cuts on here that come off kind of 
ballad-like. They're refreshingly melodic vocally and uh, very harmonious instrumentally, whether that be the cut Reeler and Reeler or the closing song too. Generally what the songs on this album lack are any kind of lyrical or topical focus. Or even if they were just going to be general and just feature Juice World and Future verbally riffing for a few minutes at a time, at least drop some bars that are worth remembering or are kind of funny or entertaining or gritty or something. While having lyrical substance isn't exactly the M.O. of this breed of hip-hop, it certainly does prevent some of the best moments on this album from being appreciated beyond just a surface level. As the lyrics on this album pretty much feature the usual suspects, brand names, money, cars, women, drugs. In theory, this is not necessarily a bad thing as long as the writing is good, or maybe Future and Juice World come together as a duo to create something that makes up for the lack of lyrical memorability here, but it's just not the case. Because for every track on this thing that features a great instrumental, good flows, and a few quotables, there's at least one other song that's generic as hell, or another that's so comatose and skeletal that it's barely worth remembering. Like on the track 7am Freestyle, and the point of this song might be for Juice World and Future to sound barely alive, but it doesn't really make for an entertaining track to hear Juice World and Future push it to the point where they're like in a zombie-like state and their rapping just has no fire in it whatsoever. Then there's also the song No Issue, whose instrumental and flows are so skeletal and bare that the song sounds painfully awkward because, I mean, let's admit it, Future and Juice World, as much as they have some good ideas and some distinct vocal characteristics, these guys need strong beats in order to make their songs work. The song's shorty as well, very melodic, very moody, but stripped back to the point where it just feels hollow, like it could have developed a bit more instrumentally and sounded so much better. Again, I'll say Future and Juice World, they don't really converge on this EP to create something that they couldn't just have made separately. The best I could say they do on the good tracks on this album is just complement each other effectively and prevent the album from going totally stale and completely tedious by just bouncing off of one another. Although that is a quality that this album loses on the handful of solo tracks on this record, like on the future song Afterlife, which comes off like a filler cut from any number of his past records, and the so short it's basically pointless make it back. There are a few other future tracks on here that have guest features from Lil Wayne and Nicki Minaj. The song Oxy is essentially future taking that weird high-pitched raspy flow that became a huge meme off of J-Rock's King's Dead, and just basically turning that into an entire song. And admittedly, it, it does make it one of the most hilarious, entertaining, and quality tracks on this thing. Lil Wayne's performance on this track is especially melodic, definitely one of the more tuneful guest verses he's had in a while. But hands down, the worst track on this record is easily the title track, where Future's vocalizations are particularly bad. The song also has the dumbest, most obvious lyrics. Like, I get that you guys make druggy music, you make songs about drugs, it, it, it makes sense. It's your aesthetic. It's your thing. But I feel like this song is just beating listeners over the head with it. To the point where it's obnoxious or that you think your listeners are so stupid that you need to make your intentions this obvious. Also, easily the worst instrumental on the entire album with these horrid, 
farty synthesizers cycling in a really busy, nonsensical pattern for a good deal of the cut. Also, totally awful vocal melodies being bounced back and forth between Future and Juice World. World on drugs. All that being said though, this record does have a good handful of highlights that I like quite a bit. I just wish they were larger in number. The album starts off with the relatively strong Jet Lag and Astronauts, which feature some of the most infectious flows and beats on the entire record. There is an awesome momentum to both of these songs, and Future and Juice World actually create a bit of chemistry, some kinetic energy bouncing bars off of one another, just quickly swapping back and forth. I mean, it's it's not the most lyrical track you're gonna hear this year, but the flow and the energy between these two is electrifying. Then there's the amazingly catchy Fine China, which feels like a track that could have been off Juice World's last full-length record, Goodbye and Good Riddance, with a vocal melody where he kind of cries out in his upper register, with a super infectious vocal melody and ridiculous lyrics. Shorty like a thousand dollar plate, Fine China, tell her that she's beautiful every day, I remind her. But further down on this chorus, he says that it's her body or nobody, I refuse to compromise, so if she leaves, I'm a kill it all, she, she'd die? Did I say that out loud, I'm so crazy about mine? I mean, it's obvious he says those bars with a hint of self-awareness, like he's just saying, oh, I'm, I'm just being crazy, I'm just playing. But simultaneously, these, these are like incel bars. These are some real incel bars. This is a little bit creepy. It's, it's kind of creepy. creepy. The song Reeler and Reeler is an oddly beautiful cut on the album, not only because of its gorgeously moody chorus, but Juice World and Future also get a little introspective about their drug abuse, about the excessive lives they lead, also rapping about loved ones dying too, and lyrically they match up a little bit at one point with <laughs> Juice World rapping about a Balenciaga jacket that has a lean stain, so he's gonna give it away, get rid of it, give it to a friend, and Future has a Gucci shirt with a c stain, so he just throws it away. The closing track, Hard Work Pays Off, is one of the sweetest and catchiest on the entire record. Honestly, sounds like a hit. I would potentially say it's like a song of the summer if it wasn't coming out in October. The vocal melody, the chord progression is so tried and true and familiar and, and warm. It feels like a, a loving blanket being wrapped around me by a cutie, a total cutie patootie. Love some of the bittersweet lyrics on the track too, but honestly that kind of does it for highlights to me on this record. Uh, the other tracks that I mentioned earlier were really some of the lowest points here, and meanwhile the other cuts just fall somewhere in the middle. Like many of these other suddenly dropped collaborative albums from top name rappers, this thing is very much a mixed bag. It feels rushed, it's not nearly as sharp as like a Without Warning or especially a Kitsy Ghost. Doesn't really feel all that collaborative a lot of the time. While there are some good standouts here where Future and Juice World do find uh, some cool creative overlap. For the most part, just kind of seems like both guys riffing on some very dime a dozen trap beats with a supremely good flow, hook or instrumental popping out here and there. I'm feeling a decent two strong five on this thing. Tran, Zishin, into the next review. And it's time for a review of the new Open Mic Eagle EP, What Happens When I Try to Relax. This is a new EP from one of the wittiest underground rappers operating today, Open Mic Eagle, who has been killing it as of late with his last few records being some of his best so far, especially his previous on Mellow Music Group, Brick Body Kid Still Daydream, one of his most emotionally potent projects so far where he goes back into his past 
into his childhood, into his stomping grounds, raps about where he grew up. And even though this album is really good, Mike's latest, latest efforts see him scaling back to a more independent hustle. Whether it be his demo cassette, the Dark Dark Purple Tape, or this new self-released EP over here. The reason I bring up the change of pace in how Mike is releasing his music is because it's kind of an important part of his personality type. He is a self-starter, he's a doer, he's a podcaster. He is a hands-on creative, which is something that might not necessarily come across right away when he is entertaining his followers with brainy rhymes and left-field beats. But this new EP is not your typical open mic eagle release. The production has a very glossy sheen to it. It's very glimmery, it is very synthetic, like Open Mike Eagle is broadcasting his rhymes from a digital utopian future, or maybe just from inside his head, in which is located a cybernetic brain. And I say we're in Mike Eagle's head on this release because this is easily one of his most personal and intimate and revealing projects so far, as a good chunk of the bars on this EP deal directly with Mike's plans and concerns and aspirations, his anxieties. Getting to his own core through song with his audience definitely seems to be a focus on the opening track, Relatable. I'm not really that crazy about the wintry, computerized beat, but I do think it is a somewhat interesting contrast from Open Mike Eagle's over-the-top delivery and his fluid triplet flows. And as the song title suggests, the track is about relatability, with Mike bringing up what he watches, what he wears, where he lives. And it feels like he's bringing these things up because he feels like he's not being accepted. He feels invisible to a degree. I don't know if this is as a result of uh, some kind of performer complex or just generally feeling like somebody who is uh, isolated or lonely. Either way, it makes the track really bittersweet because there are these underlying implications of desperation, but simultaneously some of the lyrical content about Mike's very average life, talking about having a vegetable stuck in the garbage disposal and needing to call the professional. It's really funny and honestly makes for one of his smartest tracks conceptually so far. Mike's whole thought process through this song is also very fevered. It's tense and I think truly gets to the heart of what the title of this EP is. All the weird, busy, distracting, existential thoughts that fly through Mike's brain whenever he's not on or he's not trying to actively entertain anyone. And this is displayed by all these dreamy, easygoing, soft and pretty synthesizers paired with very antsy and passionate rapping. We also catch this same theme all over again on the track, Every Single Thing, where Mike is essentially rapping about his audience or the listener understanding, accepting, I guess getting to the core of who and what he is. Pause me, learn me 100%, predict me, get me 100%, complete me, eat me 100%, defeat me, delete me, another attempt. At least that's my read on the track. Also keep in mind that the hook of this song, according to Open Mike Eagle's Twitter, was video game inspired, given the repetition, attempt, failure, trial, tribulation. There are also a lot of lyrics on the verses of this track dealing in racism and marginalization. The track also features winning bars like the economy killed the rhyme star, I'm privileged, born with the silver time card, about as high as I held my heroes, I put my chips on myself like Pete Rose. The track is also paired with an enchanting chorus, these chimey lead synth melodies that faintly ring out against a very deep ocean of bass, as well as super atmospheric synth chords. The song Single Ghosts is kind of a weird topical shift for the EP. The track seems to feature this fictional exchange with a ghost asking, why are they here? Do they drink? There's a point where Mike's lyrics imply that there's like a, 
a bit of a romantic connection going on here between him and the ghost. And then there's a portion of the song where it seems like he's remembering back to a time when this person was alive as if he knew this person before. The sound and vibe of this EP stays relatively eerie on the track Southside Eagle, though lyrically the track is more focused on Mike's attempts and efforts as a creative and an entertainer. Talking about checking last year's numbers, seeing Kendrick but not saying anything because this underground hustle that he has is adjacent. Also saying that with his music he's trying to reach black kids but in a room or with a room full of whites. Basically getting to the heart of this disconnect in intention or just reception in that he has his audience he wants to reach, but then there's the audience he's actually reaching. There were a few other tracks on this EP slash album. It's it's a project. Open Mike Eagle isn't strictly calling it an EP. It's 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 a bunch of music on a thing. There are a few songs on this bunch of music on a thing that I found a little underwhelming, mostly because of the production. There are moments where compositionally I think it's really fitting and pretty, but the aesthetic, the sound of the drums, the sound of the synths, how light and airy and hollow a lot of the beats on this thing feel, it doesn't really do all that much for me. Not the best set of instrumentals that I've heard Mike on so far, though I do appreciate he does stick to a pretty clear instrumental style for this handful of songs. I still like the EP quite a bit though, I think it's an interesting mini chapter in the ongoing Mike Eagle saga. Considering the topics at hand, it just feels like Mike is, is barely scratching the surface with the handful of cuts that he's offered. I think most of Mike's hardcore fans will get a lot out of this project. The lyrics certainly put a lot of what I have known about him through his music into perspective. Though personally, I prefer and would first recommend uh, any number of his most recent releases over this to a newcomer, to a new listener. I'm feeling a light seven on this thing. Before we get into the next review, I wanna give a shout out to our sponsor, in this podcast, the good people over at the Ridge Wallet, they make these nifty, metal-plated, fantastic, minimalist, and convenient wallets, if I've not said compact already. Let me say it again, compact! They fit right in your front pocket, and they are better than your old, dirty, disgusting, bulky leather wallet. Slim down, get a Ridge Wallet, use ridgewallet.com slash Fantano, that is ridgewallet.com slash Fantano and use promo code FANTANO to get 10% off your first order. Let's get into the next review. And it's time for a review of the new Little Big album, Anti-Positive Part 2. This is the newest mini album from Russian dance music outfit, L Little Big. They have been at it actively since 2013, and they are pretty well known at this point for their provocative, satirical, and over-the-top music videos, many of which have racked up millions of views at this point and have become viral sensations across the Eastern Bloc and Europe. And while the group has gotten some attention over here in the States, a lot of people have mostly written them off as like a Russian D antword. And I guess there's good reason for that. Their big premiere live performance was opening up for them. They have a similarly goofy look and demeanor. Their whole aesthetic and popularity is heavily reliant and dependent on their music videos. And they're not just simply a music group, but kind of a multimedia endeavor. But having said all that, I do think there are some artistic qualities that clearly separate these two acts, even though there are some 
surface level parallels. Their whole music style is much more specific to Eastern Europe and rave culture. It's not a horrendous 10 car pileup of all these international mainstream influences just smashing together in the trashiest way possible. Not to say Little Big's music and music videos are tasteful though, being trashy and looking trashy is kind of part of their aesthetic. And it's not like there are no overt Western influences in their songs either. I mean, they're certainly not beyond working some rattling trap hi-hats and rapping into their songs too. And on their previous records, the group has dropped songs that have been blatantly influenced by breakbeat hardcore, punk, and dancehall, and industrial rock, and obviously house music. I feel like Little Big's whole sound is pretty much if you tried to produce Eurodance music, but for people with kind of a nihilist streak, who had a, a very deep hatred for the world. Sure, on the surface, while you do have beats and choruses that are very sweet and very poppy, a lot of the lyrics and visuals do cut pretty deep into some sexual taboos, violence, war and world politics, and of course, Russian culture as well. Whereas a lot of the lyrics and visuals of their South African counterparts have kind of devolved into extending the lore of the characters that Yolandi and Ninja have respectively come up with. Which can be fun, but it's something I don't really get all that much out of these days because the personalities they've developed over the years have gotten kind of stale and annoying. For sure, Little Big does have a lot of oddity and bombast and pomp, but I think they actually take the edge off of that a little bit with some self-awareness, some in-your-face and legitimately catchy choruses and a dark sense of humor. Now, Anti-Positive Part 2 is the name of the group's latest endeavor over here, and it comes out off the back of one of the group's biggest viral hits to date, and that is the song Skibbity, a track that is a very bold blend of pop and house with some sexy verses, some ridiculous choruses that are laced with samples of dogs and cats and birds, synced up with a series of lyrical onomatopoeias, boom boom, pa pa pa, skibbity wa pa pa pa. The track is catchy, it's hilarious, it's utterly absurd, and the music video contains one of the worst viral dances I've ever seen in my entire life. With the group pushing fans and viewers to also take part doing the skibbity challenge. And honestly, the whole thing seems like a very conscious parody of the, the idea of the viral dance craze. Come out with a catchy song that basically means nothing. It's so silly and it's so preposterous that it just earworms its way into your head. And then come out with a dance that's so simple nearly anybody could do it, but make sure it looks so ridiculous that nobody could really take it seriously and anyone who takes part is just gonna look... <laughs> As a social experiment, which this track very clearly is, it's borderline genius and impeccably executed. Sadly, the rest of the material on the EP isn't nearly as sharp or as impactful. I mean, I did love the opening track, Liar, which features a super zany beat, these layered vocal calls of die, 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 die. That's on the hook, of course. The verses, by contrast, are really sassy, essentially dropping lyrics about military service and becoming cannon fodder for a rich oligarch class. It's a short, sweet banger with kind of a side of politics to it. The song Follow Me, featuring Tommy Cash, is not as hard-hitting or as memorable as the group's previous collaboration with the Estonian rapper Give Me Your Money, but the track still comes loaded with an undeniable house beat, a bouncy synth bass line, and a hook that comes straight out of the Eurodance playbook, which I, I think a lot of the ideas on this song do. But Little Big does experiment with it enough to put their own spin on it. It does feel like this is about the closest we're going to get to post-rave or art-rave or 
post-Eurodance in 2018. The record does take a slight nosedive after this point, though. There's a remix of the opening cut right in the middle of the album that doesn't really add that much variation to the LP and seems somewhat unnecessary. It just puts a really unfortunate lull in the middle of a project that doesn't really have the room for a snoozer. Meanwhile, Real People hits pretty hard, features some aggressive lyrics, some traditional call-and-response vocals, though it's not nearly as eccentric as some of the other tracks on here. And the personality of Little Big continues to melt away on tracks like Monami and Little Boy, where the group is essentially delivering some really run-of-the-mill electropop. I mean, one track does feature a refrain sung in French where the group are propositioning someone for raw butt sex. And the other, I guess, is a piano lace trap ballad that is legitimately a tribute to mom, with the lyrics singing, I'm your little boy, and how, uh, you know, you wouldn't be here if not for mom's love and care and attention. Sure, there's some elements of the track that seem unnecessarily dark and tortured and uh, morose, and there's something oddly uh, sexy, I think, about the, the vibe, too. But on the surface of it, it still does feel like um, a, a full-hearted tribute to uh, one's mother. Overall, I think this is a decent EP, and it's one of two the group has released this year. I think quality-wise, the previous one they put out, Anti-Positive Part 1, is a tad bit more consistent, and if you liked some of the material on this EP over here, I would highly recommend that you go try that one out. That, and I would most definitely give a shot to their Funeral Rave album that dropped in 2015, which features some of their biggest and most creative tracks, an album that, in retrospect, I, I wish I was aware of it at the time so I could have covered it, but overall I'm just really liking the fun, creative, and nutty, and again, satirical personality and delivery of this group on the best tracks on this thing, certainly reminding me of some of my favorite groups from the 90s and 2000s like Atari Teenage Riot and Rammstein and maybe just a touch of mindless self-indulgence too. Now even if Little Big does continue to drop somewhat spotty projects, I still do like their music videos and singles quite a bit. And if that's where a majority of their focus continues to lie going forward, so be it. Because honestly I do think in the current mainstream musical landscape, they are a, a force that I like the presence of. I just really enjoy their crude mockery of everything. Established norms, taboos, good taste, societal BS, and hopefully they continue to do that and do it well on forthcoming projects. I'm feeling a decent two strong six on this thing, Tran. Zition into the next review. And it's time for a review of the new High on Fire album, Electric Messiah. California Sludge and Stoner Metal Outfit, High on Fire, they are back. Eighth full-length album. Now, even though it has been three years since the release of the band's last record, Luminiferous, I did not anticipate to hear from High on Fire so soon, because it has been just earlier this year since Matt Pike was totally killing it on the brand new Sleep album, The Sciences. The famed stoner metal outfit came back for a comeback record that was pretty excellent. Easily stoner metal album of the year with its beefy riffs and meditative grooves. Some really wild guitar soloing and leads as well. Just really great to see a band of Sleep's profile come back with a great record. Meanwhile though, High on Fire over here, brand new record, kind of hitting a point of predictability, though, despite what sounds like their best efforts to kind of change things up a little. This second act of High on Fire's career so far has been an interesting one. After pretty much spending the entirety of the 2000s sounding like a heavy, mucky, 
smoke-filled version of Motorhead that preferred weed and cerebral grooves over speed and thrills. The band cleaned up their sound a little bit for their 2010 release, Snakes for the Divine, a skinnier but admirable album that didn't quite have the heaviness and the girth of the band's previous efforts, which still helped clear the way for faster, more dynamic, and muscular records like De Vermis Mysteries, one of the most punishing sludge metal records of the decade. Maybe not as progressive or as flashy as like a Mastodon album, but still pretty fantastic. Then following that, we had the anthemic Luminiferous, where the band presented some of really their catchiest and most soulful and melodic material yet, while again, still maintaining that pretty heavy and sludgy sound. And Meanwhile, Electric Messiah sees the band going back into a speedier and more aggressive direction again. But now on the production end, it sounds like they're in a position to add a bit more clarity and depth and layers to everything here. The tone and performance style doesn't sound too much unlike Mysteries, especially on the title track to this thing, which really has as much thunder and throttle as any song off of that record. And as much as I do love this thing, the mix is pretty grimy. I could see it being improved with a bit more layers, a bit more harmony, a bit more body. However, Electric Messiah is not just simply high on fire as usual, which is kind of an issue I have on this album with tracks like The Opener, as well as the track Freebooter, songs that really in the overall high on fire canon sound really standard. And occasionally on this record, the standard is really just not enough. The band wants to change things up, they want to do something slightly different, whether it be switching up their instrumental styles, though always not to the benefit of this record, like on the track the Witch and the Christ, which features some horridly tedious drumming. Have never really heard drumming this one-dimensional and boring on a High on Fire record, but here we are. But the band also sees fit to embark on a few longer tracks on this record, and not that the band have ever been shy about busting out these six or seven minute sludge ragers, which successfully managed to stay entertaining from beginning to end, but now on this record we're getting a few tracks that are nine minutes. 10 minutes. A few minutes difference between these songs and High on Fire's usual song length doesn't sound like a big difference. But what's odd about these cuts is that they're vaguely proggy. Sanctioned Annihilation and Steps of the Ziggurat have multiple phases worked into them, some build-ups too, a lot of compositional shifts, but High on Fire really fails to display the nuance and the dynamics to really kind of pull this grander, larger, more scaled style of songwriting off. All of these really large and sludgy guitar passages get really tiresome after a while, don't really create the epic feel I think the band is looking for. Another thing that's kind of head-scratching about these cuts is if they were as melodic or as dynamic as some of the softer or more subtle cuts off of Luminiferous, I could see what the band is doing here panning out. But despite all the changes happening across these tracks, the riffs, the vocals, they're not that catchy. They come off a little one-dimensional and just overly long-winded. There are some tracks on this record that offer a change of pace and some good songs and are a manageable length, like the Pallid Mask, which features some really fantastic slow slithering guitar chords, which transition very nicely into some driving drums and heavy riffs. Certainly one of the most evil sound songs on the entire record, and Matt Pike's vocals are particularly angry, gargled, and strained on this song, much more than on a lot of other tracks here. The, the vocal intensity of this track really sells it. And with its triumphant guitar leads, the closing track Drowning Dog is actually pretty good too. The lead vocals strike me as being much more passionate than they are on a 
bulk of the record uh, kind of took me back to Luminiferous a little bit. The drums punctuate the heavy riffs of the track really well, and there's something about the pacing and the groove and the Again, the guitar riffs of the track that have a pretty cool heavy metal style. And with Matt Pike's lyrics on this track, like the numbers cross the lines in the sand, the pools of human rats, their tails are twisted and tied, eat of thy poison divine, and damn you, you're the shadows of men, and damn you, for it's kill or be killed in the end. A little Iron Maiden-esque, I have to admit. Despite the slightly improved production quality and the couple of changes and risks that they took on a couple of songs that didn't really pan out. This is very much a standard High on Fire record. A handful of cuts I really loved, a few others that just were a little middle of the road to me for them, and a few that I, I think could have been greatly improved had the band taken a different approach to tiering and building and structuring these longer cuts. Still though, I think it's a pretty solid record. It does have its highlights, it does have a great sound, but I hope the band's next offering is, is better than what they brought here. I'm feeling a decent two strong six on this thing. Before we get into the next review, I have a shout out to the good people over at Turntable Lab. If you ever wanted to go online and shop for some colorful pressings of records that I have reviewed on my channel or pick up some audiophile gear, some speakers, some wires, a turntable, please use turntablelab.com slash the needle drop. Not only will you find a convenient page with a lot of great records on there for your buying pleasure, but also anything you purchase from the page off of Turntable Lab, turntablelab.com slash the needle drop. We get kickback from it. Supports the podcast, supports the YouTube channels, supports the whole needle drop apparatus. So treat yourself, turntablelab.com slash the needle drop. And it's time for a review of the new Little Yachty album, Nothing to Prove. You should know who rapper Little Yachty is at this point. He's been one of the biggest things in, in trap music and SoundCloud rap for the past couple of years. Since he burst onto the scene with one of the most promising mixtapes of 2016, I'm talking about his Little Boat Tape, a project that I caught a lot of flack for liking, but I still get a lot of enjoyment out of it even today. The goofy, fun, exuberant, joyous personality of Yachty on this tape is something to behold. I love the bright, shiny, soaring, sunny, inspiring beats all over this thing. Certainly not a sound palette that a lot of Yachty's contemporaries hop on top of. The lyrics generally on this thing were sort of braggy, but also showed a kind of vulnerable and emotional side to Yachty too. Also, so many earworm choruses that I just cannot deny across this project as well. I mean, sure, it's a flawed tape. It's kind of messy. It's kind of amateurish. It sounds a little weird and awkward. I get why a lot of people don't like it and don't take it seriously, but I still had high hopes for Yachty coming out of this project, even if I did think my enjoyment of this thing was maybe a little bit of a fluke. Because there is a bit of an element of it's so bad it's good going on here, and simultaneously, Yachty is still a young artist who knows if he's going to be all that consistent or stick to an idea, a narrative, a sound, whatever. So following this, we had Yachty's Summer Songs 2 mixtape, which was a total mess, all over the place quality-wise. I mean, the, the fun, upbeat, happy-go-lucky goofball personality was still there. It seemed like his heart was in the right place, but a lot of the songs were just trash. Like, he wasn't really trying, didn't really put that much effort into the project, but 
hey, maybe he's just kind of doing some spring cleaning, throwing a bunch of tracks out there, just kind of keep fans held over until he drops something a bit bigger, more ambitious. And that's where his debut commercial album, Teenage Emotions, comes in. Easily one of the worst albums of that year. It is clear that Yachty had a big budget on this project, had a lot of artistic freedom, <laughs> and just given those things, this should have come out amazing. But instead, it features some of his worst songs, some of his worst bars. Whenever I think of that cello line, my brain wants to implode. This record was like all of Yachty's worst artistic tendencies given the biggest platform and the biggest budget imaginable. And he just stretched it out over a bloated track list to the point where listening to the entire thing is just excruciating. I pretty much enjoyed his following tape, Little Boat 2. It was a record that I hoped would live up to the hype of the original Little Boat tape. This project saw Yachty sensibly scaling things back from Teenage Emotions, hopping on top of darker, slightly grittier production, rapping a little bit more. The Little Boat, Little Yachty dichotomy had mostly melted away on this thing, unfortunately. Though I still liked the instrumentals across this thing. I thought a lot of Yachty's flows were pretty catchy. I thought the hooks were pretty infectious. And despite the mood shift on this project, it felt like Yachty's free-spirited personality was still very much intact. And then we have Nothing to Prove, which really does live up to its title in that it feels like Yachty literally has nothing to prove. He is putting in as little effort as possible, just delivering a bunch of dime a dozen flows on top of some very skeletal and very stripped back trap beats. Not so stripped back and minimal to the point where it's strange or experimental or kind of a new vibe or sound, just enough to the point where it's just really uneventful and bland. But even though most of the beats on this thing are basic as hell, really the biggest loss and the most upsetting thing about this record is that Yachty sounds jaded, even after just a few years in the spotlight. And I'm not really sure if he's lost the passion for it or if there's just very little incentive for him to put any thought into these songs because his label or his audience aren't really expecting all that much from him. Either way, that free spirit, that goofball, fun, and unique attitude that Yachty would bring to a feature, a record, an album, and anything is just not here at all. I mean, there's one track where he does uh, get a little lovey-dovey and slaps the auto-tune on and reaches into his upper register. It's the song Worth It, which is actually one of the better tracks on the entire record, even though some of the lyrics are kind of patronizing, like, oh girl, I love you, even if you don't get surgery, I love you the way you are, girl. I mean, it's mostly fine. It sounds like it comes from the heart. But still, outside of that, a lot of this project just kind of sounds like Yachty trying to sound really hard and aggressive over some basic-ass beats. And look, in trap music, there's really no shortage of aggression at the moment, and there are a lot of other artists doing it way better than Yachty is. It just seems like he's doing everything he can to blatantly avoid what exactly made him so unique and so special and so attractive when he initially broke onto the scene. And sure, there are tracks on here where maybe some of the lyrics are a little silly or a little dumbed down, like on Riley from the Boondocks or On the Mac. But still, these tracks are really lacking in quotables. They mostly feel off the cuff. Their choruses are really awkward, and I mostly just want to skip them. When this record does dish out some decent moments, it's mostly because the beat is good or the guest on the track steals the show. Whether it be Get Dripped with Playboy Cardi, which mostly just sounds like a Playboy Cardi song with a Yachty feature. Or the track Yacht Club featuring Juice World, where Juice and Yachty trade some melodic and fun bars and eventually hit 
a few verses toward the end of the track where they are going back and forth about getting a girl pregnant and then just like having a baby out of wedlock. <laughs> a really weird flex, but okay. The beat on We Outta Here is pretty hard, but Offset and Cardi B on the track Who Want The Smoke totally outshine Yachty outside of a weird spot toward the back end of the track where he kind of reaches into his lower register and sounds really funny. And the last several tracks on this thing, Forever World with Trippy Red, Nolia with Kevin Gates, Fallen in Love with Gunna, Stoney. These are among some of the longest and most arduous and most long-winded tracks on the entire record. Incredibly uneventful. They're a bit on the mellower side. Yachty sounds even more uninspired than he did on a lot of the previous tracks, which is upsetting to say because songs like Stoney and tracks like the little baby track on this thing see Yachty taking a slightly more personal approach to the lyrics, but even when he's rapping from a slightly more uh, introspective or emotional standpoint, his lyrics and his delivery comes off flat, not just emotionally, but sometimes when he's singing too, like literally on a pitch level. Not that that's anything new for Yachty anyway, but you know. It was easier to overlook when his music was actually fun to listen to. And not to say that Yachty just needs to flip the fun switch and become a clown on record for me to enjoy it, but I don't really find the tracks on this record to be that dark or emotional either. It mostly just sounds like Yachty trying to sound cool and trendy when really I think the path that made the most sense for him was to embrace what made him so unique to begin with. And Nothing to Prove just sounds like the complete loss of that, the complete loss of the Little Boat narrative. So yeah, I'm just not really sure where Yachty goes from here. But if Yachty is going to put out a quality record ever again, he needs a few things. One, you need songs. The Little Boat Tape had songs. It had some great songs on it. And even on Teenage Emotions, even though a lot of the tracks on that record were a mess, it sounded like you were trying to write some memorable songs, some hits. This record very clearly had either no or a very short writing process. I'm not even sure if there was much forethought put into this record. Two, the production needs to be more memorable, more unique, fit your actual personality, something that people aren't gonna hear on other records. Three, do not just pad your album out with super trendy features. This is your record, this is your artistic statement. It's not a hip hop convention. And four, finally, the most stunning and memorable thing about your record needs to be you. You cannot be buried in the beats, outshined by your guests. You need to come out there with all guns blazing so that you leave an impact, leave an impression on the audience. And again, that's just not happening here because very little in terms of writing, the choruses fall flat, the beats are unmemorable, and this is easily Yachty's most underwhelming performance yet. While I have had my issues with a lot of Yachty projects so far, it hasn't been until now that I felt like he's not really trying. And it's unfortunate because when Yachty first came out, I thought this guy is one of the more unique voices out here, really excited to see where he's going, but now it just seems like he's going with the current, which if he continues on that path, eventually he's gonna end up washed up ashore. I'm feeling a decent too strong too, on this thing. Hey, buddy, did you hear the news? It's track reviews. And let's talk about Trippy Red. Brand new track out. Topanga is the name of the single. You may remember that I reviewed his latest full-length album a little earlier this year, and he also has a brand new mixtape on the way, A Love Letter to You, Part 3. So the third installment of that Love Letter series. And uh, yeah, let's just give it a shot. Let's see what he has to offer. Kind of intrigued by the strangely <laughs> religious uh, visuals on the front cover of this single as he looks like he's, he's like the SoundCloud Jesus Christ 
being brought up to heaven or, or something. Uh, let's, again, let's give it a shot. Topanga, Trippy Red. <laughs> that was pretty nice. I like that a lot. Um, all right, let's get into the good and the bad of it. Let's start with the good. Uh, love the instrumental. The ins- Whoever produced this track, great production. Has kind of a gospel tone to it. Really rich, really illustrious, very feel-good. It feels like a religious experience. I think he kind of nailed it with the cover art on this single because it very much feels like, <laughs> like a really powerful gospel song in a way. Uh, but then, of course, you do have uh, Trippy Red's vocals, which don't necessarily read like a gospel track. Though I do think you probably could have thrown some of those huge gospel choruses in the background of this track and it would have fit. But still, he's just kind of hitting those speedy melodic flows like any other artist in his uh, genre and sort of cut from his cloth does these days. But he's just sounding very different. I love the melodies that he's belting out on this track. Um, Also, uh, some of the little refrains that he hits uh, the boom, 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 stop right, right now, you're in danger. Like, super sharp, super sharp, super catchy. I'm just loving how nimble his vocal melodies are on this track, and when he reaches up into his upper register and sort of hits hits a volume peak on this track, he's not straining, he's sounding pretty good. This track is indicative of what I've been saying about Trippy Red. In comparison to other auto-crooners and SoundCloud rappers and singers, He has a pretty good voice when he wants to show it off, when he doesn't want to strain it, when he doesn't want to go too over the top, when he wants to stay on key, when he wants to deliver a supremely large amount of passion on a track. He does it really well in such a way that it really puts him ahead of the curve of a lot of other faux singers out there whose vocals don't really sound that great when it comes to pitch or passion and emotion and just general delivery. Uh, dude has a pretty memorable voice as well. So I think I think vocally up until this point, at least to a degree on a lot of more lackluster tracks in his discography, uh, Trippy has been kind of punching under his weight. But uh, I think this track is certainly an example of him singing really well. Uh, and again, the vocal melodies are are kind of fire. Maybe they didn't sort of hit me as hard as they potentially could have at the very start of the song, but after a few listens, they really grew on me very fast. If there's anything that's kind of lackluster on this track, it's probably the lyrics. And not that the lyrics are the worst, 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 worst lyrics in the world or anything like that, but given the vocal melody, given the instrumental tone of the track, I guess I would have anticipated something a little bit more personal from him, I I guess, uh, from a substantive standpoint or something. But at least the lyrics that he's delivering here are kind of catchy. He seems to be talking uh, to someone who he thinks is in danger. And maybe he himself is kind of the source of that danger because he talks about toting guns in public and people moving around him as if they're strangers. And that maybe, in fact, kind of putting him on edge and then acting on that, uh, you know, with a, with a quick trigger finger. So there's, there's, I guess, kind of an interesting dichotomy at play here 
where he's singing to somebody. He may, in fact, be the person who is putting that person's life on the line. And this track, in a way, is almost like a warning. You know, it's it's kind of a warning. And, and uh, it seems the person he has in mind who he's singing about is a woman, probably. And... Uh, <laughs> Wants to take their little last to, to Topanga, which is a scenic spot in California. But what that directly has to do with, I guess, warning this person that they might be in danger, I don't totally know. And, and that's the thing. It's not like that strong of a topic or a concept for a track. But still, uh, instrumentally, vocally, melodically, uh, I thought this track had a lot of great things going for it. Um, and again, Despite the fact that I wasn't super impressed on the lyrical front, Trippy is or is an artist who in the past has shown me he can write pretty well too. I guess it just depends on what his intentions happen to be for that particular track, for that particular vibe, or whatever he wants to get off his chest, I guess. So, liking this track, thought it was pretty good. Trippy Red Topanga. Definitely one of the more promising songs I've heard from him in a while, and uh, if more melodic and rich cuts like this are on this forthcoming mixtape, then that's going to be a good thing. Though Trippy is, in the past, he showed himself to be a pretty versatile artist, not really a guy who stays in one single lane, but also uh, not incredibly consistent too. So who knows like where this next mixtape is going to go as far as uh, consistency and sound and style. And let's do a letter from a fan here. Brian writes in. I've been indulging in more depressing music such as Little Peep, Tentacion, and Brand New. I'm worried I've romanticized the thought of dying young. I've been saying offhand quotes that I won't ever make it to 30. Do you think this music has an influence of increasing depression? I feel like a lot of others are depressed, and I'm not sure if medicating your feelings with this music is helpful. I love your videos and keep doing great with high regards, Brian. All right, Brian, thank you for sending that in. Thank you for writing. Uh, a lot to unpack there, but let's try to do it. Uh, forgive me if I do get a little rambly because there are a lot of layers to the topics that you're discussing here. Depression, in my personal experience, in the experiences of others who I've known, and from everything that I've read in terms of mood and emotion and its relation to music, as far as the impact that art can have on it, it's a little situational. Depressing music can certainly put you in a depressive mood, okay? It can put you in a depressive mood, much in the same way that a happy or upbeat or a sexy or an angry song can certainly put you into the mood that that particular song or album is displaying. You guys yourselves have had experiences where you listen to a happy or an angry or a sad song, and then you start feeling those emotions, especially if you've connected that track to a particular moment or piece of time or experience in your life uh, that carries that mood or maybe even a different mood as well. Uh, but feeling a little depressed off of the back of listening to a really sad song or something is, is different than having clinical diagnosed depression. And there are things that contribute to one's depression that I think are much more great, much more physical and obtrusive when we're talking about day-to-day uh, -day life, uh, whether that be something having to do with your physiology, like a chemical imbalance, or uh, we can talk about uh, maybe it's your living situation. Maybe you are um, uh, disenfranchised. Maybe you 
uh, are living under a lot of stress. Maybe you are living under some type of abuse. Uh, you're a young person. Maybe you're feeling like you're being crushed under the debt that you took out to uh, go to college or that uh, the economic outlook for you is not really all that great or that uh, because of a lack of economic opportunity, you can't pursue the same quality of life that your parents may have when they were younger. A lot of things can lead to depression. And again, I, I don't think music is necessarily sort of like a root cause of it or anything like that. However, what music can do, and I'm not saying that music is all powerful and always great and so on and so forth. If you're feeling sad, depressive music that maybe even specifically addresses the root of your sadness, which is why so many people love breakup songs and breakup albums, uh, listening to such things can certainly be cathartic, make you feel a little bit better in that sadness, make you feel less isolated in that sadness. But I do think that there is a point at which you can overexpose yourself to such things and maybe persistently keep yourself in that mood, especially if you're the type of person who maybe your personality type or maybe you actually are suffering from a clinical type of depression uh, to the point where you're essentially like walling yourself up in this mood and I guess only exposing yourself to messages and stimuli that are going to enhance that mood and keep you dug into it. Uh, th there's something to be said for trying not to wallow too much in the negative emotions of, uh, of depression or anger and so on and so forth. Though again, still, it, it doesn't necessarily bear out as true that if you just consistently listen to a certain kind of music with a certain kind of mood, that you're always going to be exhibiting that mood. I mean, look at metal music, for example. How much metal music out there or metalcore is super hard, aggressive, angry, mad, but I mean, I'm sure you yourself are or have known uh, people who listen to metal music or maybe you're a metal head. I mean, metal heads aren't just walking around every day like, I mean, I know quite a few metal heads that are very friendly and good natured and uh, <laughs> pretty nice. If uh, listening to uh, aggressive metal music all day made them super angry, pissed off people who just hated everything, hated everybody. Uh, th then I think we would have um, a bit more to talk about here. I, I don't think you can literally just drown in depressive music and keep yourself depressed forever. Uh, so there is that, uh, and, and nor should you even try. But I think also uh, the messaging of the music that you're listening to is important too, because I can listen to or list off uh, a lot of different artists that make depressing music, many of whom I have heard and enjoy, but I haven't necessarily come away from that song or that album thinking, oh, well, I'm, I'm not going to live past 30. And again, I think that has a lot to do with the messaging. I mean, it may be depressive music, but does that depressive music glorify suicide? Does it glorify doing hard drugs to the point where you may in fact overdose? I think that's important to take into account. And let's also note that those themes, those ideas, those messages are not necessarily specific to depressive music either. There's plenty of uh, very angry or more aggressive or more upbeat music out there uh, that certainly dives into themes of suicide and death and mortality and so on and so forth. I guess what I would say to you is that if you are feeling these feelings and they're very strong and these thoughts of your mortality are incredibly persistent, I would try my best to just do a little introspection to find out exactly why 
Uh, you may be upset. Hey, you could try a little troubleshooting and say, you know what? I'm not going to listen to anything that's that negative. I'm not going to listen to anything that depressive and see if it alters your mood. See if it, I guess, puts you in a better state. But keep in mind, having some dark or negative thoughts every once in a while or thinking about your own passing and your own mortality, it's not an unnatural thing. It's not an awful thing. It doesn't mean you're messed up. It doesn't mean you're a horrible person. It's what you do in reaction to those thoughts or feelings that is important. Do you take action on those feelings and make some awful life-changing or lifelong decision that could impact you or the people around you negatively? Or do you try to reach out to some people who you know, love and care about you and build a support system around yourself so that if those thoughts do arise or those feelings do arise, you do have a way of effectively dealing with those emotions in a healthy way or just kind of putting them to the side so you're not acting on them in a way where you or anybody else could get hurt. So while I am personally skeptical that Listening to an hour of music from Little Peep can just turn on a switch and make you depressed. Uh, nobody is more aware of your own emotions than you. Certainly not me. And I think awareness of one's emotions generally is very important. And you're asking the right questions here. Your curiosity is coming from a good place. And you should always be well aware of exactly uh, how well you are or aren't feeling and what may potentially be contributing to that and what you could be doing in order to uh, change your life or change the stimuli around you so that uh, you do find yourself in a better place. And I think I will leave it at that. Thank you very much, Brian, for writing this letter. I hope you uh, are doing better by the time that this video is uploaded and uh Again, you know, if these feelings do sort of overcome you, I do think there is something to be said for kind of avoiding things that may be triggers that push your mood into that direction and seeking out others who can either enhance your mood or allow you to talk about these feelings in an open and an honest space so that you feel better about them and you can unpack them in a really effective way and get some outside perspective on them, as opposed to just kind of sitting there isolated and wallowing in those negative feelings uh, in such a way where they could grow stronger or become more intense to the point where they become even more difficult to deal with. Ladies and gentlemen, that is going to be it for this latest edition of the Needle Drop Podcast. Hope all of you are doing well, and thank you once again for listening. Remember to hit us up on social media, twitter.com slash the needle drop or Instagram at afantano to catch up on everything we throw up over there. Also our direct YouTube channels, youtube.com slash the needle drop, youtube.com slash fantano to catch the segments you hear on these podcasts ahead of time and more. Also shout out to Jonah who edits and pulls these podcasts together. And we will see you guys in the next episode. Make sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. Leave a nice, friendly review as well if you wish to. Anthony Fantano, The Needle Drop Podcast, forever. forever, forever, forever.